The Team Never Quit podcast is sponsored by Navy Federal Credit Union. Members of Navy Federal can enjoy a hassle-free car buying experience. You can learn all about this at NavyFederal.org. Ending up in football, I mean, that was kind of the farthest thing from my imagination as a kid, uh, but it became a reality. All right, everybody, welcome back to the TNQ Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Luttrell. Every week, it's my job to fire you up, to ignite the legend inside of you, and to push you to your greatness. Join me every week as I take you into my briefing room with some of the most hard-charging people on the planet. They're going to show you how to embrace the suck of life, teach you the values of working your ass off, and charge through whatever life throws at you. This is the Team Never Quit Podcast. Podcast. So buckle up, Buttercup. Welcome back to another episode of the Team Never Quit Podcast. As always, thank you guys for listening and watching, and please go hit that like and subscribe button wherever you get your show. So today we have on such a great guest, uh, but before we get into that, Let's kick it off with our Patreon question of the day, which is what popular trends do you see nowadays that you just don't get? I mean, I absolutely do not understand like the girls with shaved heads and the like multiple colors and stuff like that. I just don't understand it. Which my husband would probably like it. I do like that, yeah. actually. Yeah, I, yeah, it doesn't bother me at all, man. Girls, you rock it. Yeah. I don't. I don't. Yeah. I just don't get it. I, the the kids with the shoes untied. What? What? I mean, I spent a long time teaching my kid to tie his shoes, and they didn't. And the cool thing to do is not tie their damn shoes. <laughs> Who knew, right? Or it's just laziness. No, he's not lazy. That's a problem. <laughs> so I mean, everything else is squared away. So I know it's a thing. Yeah. Matt, what do you think? Oh man, uh, you know, I, I'd say that the the trend of everyone speaking in terms of like a a, a Twitter feed thing or uh, what's the other ones? By the way, I'm terrible with social media, but like I feel like my kids reference things that no adult could possibly know because they live in this social media realm. So whatever all these sayings are that are coming off these videos that these kids watch on a regular basis, I don't want any of that. I'm good with all that. <laughs> yeah. Talking in text code. You got Sometimes uh, a lot of those TikTok dances, I just don't really get it. Uh, it's not one thing that I have really started to do and I'm I'm holding strong. I feel like you would do that. Thanks, mom. Yeah, appreciate you. That's a freaking top rope right there. <laughs> mom just shut him down. Boom. Thanks, mom. I appreciate yeah. that. I'm a grown ass man. Really? Oh. I feel like you would embrace like one of those dances. I mean, there's there is some trends that I'll that I'll do, but the TikTok dancing is is so, just different story. You don't like it. <laughs> Sean, do you have one? Yeah. I there's a lot of trends I don't understand, honestly. I, I think the trend itself is kind of a uh, fascinating. It's how does that happen? How do people all become attached to this idea and do this silly thing? And I think all of them are kind of interesting. 
and I don't understand any of them. <laughs> also, acid wash jeans. They should have just been left in the 80s. Oh, so you're talking about like a 70s thing coming yeah. back that shouldn't have? Yeah. This... Yeah. I don't get the... Yeah, I used to wear those. Yeah. I did too. I was in the 90s, man. That's freaking was awesome. I thought, freaking whatever. All right. All go. right. That's good. Yeah. Good one. All right. So today we've got a great guest for you guys. Matt Light is a former New England Patriot and three-time Super Bowl champion uh, with also three chips to the Pro Bowl over 11 seasons. Him and his wife also founded the Light Foundation to give young people an experience to enjoy the outdoors and just help them develop their skills, values, mindset, and whatever they need to create a meaningful and productive future. So welcome to the show, Matt. Hey, it's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me. All right, man. Every now and again, I get a file on somebody whose resume reads like it's fake. <laughs> I mean, a couple of times they stand out like you hear one thing after another, after another, and it's pretty good. And then. Um, so I'm always curious when I run across one of y'all where you come from, like yeah. who your people are and, and what developed you kind of deal. So thanks yeah. again for coming on, brother. Matt, I mean, seriously. And um, I, I'm just curious as to as to how we got here. Yeah. How do we get right here, right? Yeah. What led to this and how can we prevent this from ever happening on the planet again? <laughs> right. Um, I, yeah. Cause you can't, is it, I have a feeling it's one of those journeys where like, hey, man, I got on the path, started walking. Right. And then here, here we are. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, it, it, what a great question because it's, it's honestly something that fuels every day of my life. Right. Like I'm a, and I don't think I knew this growing up. I don't think I knew this when I was in college. I don't think I knew this during my 11-year career, although I start to see it take shape. But, you know, the thing that 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 excites me today, the thing that um, kind of I, I sit back and just ponder on a regular basis are all the people that I've met in my life. Like, I'm, I'm a people person. Again, I didn't really know that early on, but, you know, I was blessed from an early age to be surrounded by doers, people that were creative, innovative, crafty, you know, they thought outside the box. Um, you know, I like to say that I don't belong to clubs, but I like a lot of people that are in them, right? Um, so I listen, I've been blessed. I, I guess the short way to say it is I grew up in a in a very small town with kind of legends as as uh grandparents, my both my grandparents on my dad's side, I was, you know, I, I wasn't able to meet my grandfather, but I feel like I did because of all the stories and the people that would come up to me and talk to me about different members of my family and and the things that they did for them and 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 how cool it was to be around them. And so, and and I was around a lot of those same folks growing up, right? Uncles and cousins and and grandmothers that you know just poured into me on a regular basis and. You know, I didn't know that we didn't have money or had a lot of money. I didn't know anything about money. I grew up very simply. You know, we did a lot in the outdoors. We were hunting and fishing. Uh, we did these pre-1800 encampments called rendezvous where we're throwing tomahawk and knife competitions and, you know, muzzleloader and flintlock competitions. And, and that was my world. And then I had somebody tell me, hey, man, you have an opportunity to play college football and they'll pay for your school. And I thought, Damn, that's pretty cool because my dad just got done telling me he's not paying for it. So, you know, I, I had no idea 
about much outside of my little world. And then I was thrust into the college football scene. I, I truly had never seen a game in my life until I played in my first college game. That I had never oh, seen an. Oh, 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 we we jumped. We missed something from Tomahawks to college football, bro. <laughs> yeah, and I, the best part of what you're talking about is if you don't know when you're poor. I, and I've, I've noticed something when you get to the end like this, too. You're looking back. I, I remember there was always a, a feeling that went with when, when you got something that you normally didn't have. Yeah. You remember that? That kind of thing. Like, now when you want something, like, hey, work for Even working hard for it and then and then going to get it, there's still a different feeling when you're young. When you yeah, have man. access to that. No doubt. And, 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 you know, what's interesting today is a lot of kids don't feel that because it, everything comes too easy. Mm-hmm. Right. And like it just it's it, it, there's not a struggle for it. There's not even a, a having to beg. Remember having to beg your parents? You're like, oh, oh can the, I lay away. There used to be a damn thing called layaway, bro. Even before that, there was a in my family, it's a two week rule. Like if you want something, dad's like two weeks. You still want it. We'll talk about it. And then you yeah. had to work for it. Then you worked for it. Then it went on layaway. I mean, you really <laughs> wanted to have something to go through this crap that you and I did. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, man. Yeah, it, it it was powerful, too. I mean, again, not knowing that you don't have money or you do have money, I think it speaks to, you know, the people that are in your life, right? Like, there was, my father would never do something for money. A matter of fact, he's the smartest guy I've ever been around in my life. He He's the most creative. I mean, I've been wanting to do a story on my father for a long time and document people like him. I call them the pyramid effect. Because, uh, or, or people like him, I, I equate it to the pyramid effect. At one point in time, how the pyramids were built wasn't common knowledge, but it was pretty well understood, right? They did it. They did it at a very high rate, um, meaning they did it very well. Now we have no idea. Well, there's people that are in their late 70s, mid 70s and older that are holding a lot of the keys to the real knowledge, institutional knowledge, the kind of knowledge that if you didn't have the books, you could build off of that knowledge to pretty much solve anything. And they're the gatekeepers, right? The Rosetta Stones, whatever you want to call them. I call it the pyramid effect. And my father's one of those people. And so he never did a thing for money. Matter of fact, I don't even know if he's ever had a bank account or a savings account. And and that's the mindset that we grew up in. Hey, let's have fun in what we do. Let's do it at a very high level. Let's try to help as many people along the way as we can. And uh, and we did that through mission trips with our church, um, you know, just helping people out in our community. I mean, that's what was important. And it, none of it revolved around football. So, yeah, I made the jump just because, you know, my my lifestyle growing up, I, I think is kind of unique. I mean, I was the kid sewing rabbit fur blankets. My aunt taught me how to sew rabbit fur blankets together. Like, you know, why is that something that a kid gets into? I have no idea, but I loved it. And and I loved all those kind of activities that, you know, involved the outdoors, friends and family, doing things at a high level and just having fun along the way. Um, ending up in football, I mean, that was kind of the farthest thing from my imagination as a kid, uh, but it became a reality. What state did you grow up in? You know, I grew up right on the, uh, I was in Ohio, right on the Indiana border. So I grew up north of Dayton, Ohio, uh, west central Ohio. Okay, Marcus was just in Indiana on the Indiana side. And he, what town was that? Shipshawana? Oh, yeah. Oh, there we go. Shipshawana. Oh, yeah. 
Indiana. You're up there in Amish country, loving yeah, life, about, hey, good food. I, I got a great family up there now. <laughs> that town is awesome. Shepshawana, that's a real place. He said it's paradise, stuck right in the middle of the United States. Marcus never sends me pictures when he's out of town, like ever. And even if I beg him to, when he was in Shipshawana, he probably sent me 30 pictures. He was so <laughs> excited this is great, man. and said it was so beautiful. It looked like a movie set. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. so that's right. Is that near you within a couple hours? Yeah, that's, he, he's, he was up in Northern Indiana, more Northern Indiana. We're a little South of that. Um, I grew up and, and I know that everyone's going to know who this is on this, you know, show, but, uh, not a lot of people do in today's world, but the home of Annie Oakley, kind of a big deal. That's awesome. Kind of, it is. That's a big deal. I know exactly who that is. Yeah. A little Miss Sure Shot. That is so cool. Okay. Yeah. I'm trying to picture where you grew up. I didn't know if it was I mean, like Texas, West Virginia, or. I mean, so, what are we talking about? You went from high school. Is this like, are we talking about the movie with like Waterboy? And you just went straight from the country into football and just dominated? Because that's what I'm yeah, I, like. I, I wish I had a reference or not, but. Yeah. No, it's, um, you know, basically, <laughs> I, I'm. I'm playing football, right? And uh, I remember I got kicked out of a game. I had to drive to watch my own team play the following week, right, with my dad. And we're sitting in the stands, and he's like, you know, hey, you know this isn't a good situation. I'm like, yeah, dad, I know. He's like, well, you know, you need to focus. If this is something you really want to do, you better focus. Now, keep in mind, my father never played sports. He had severe polio, uh, you know, from from birth, basically, and uh, he's got one leg. It's real tiny, but he's always been able to, you know, get things done. Um, and and so he couldn't really relate to me in the sports world. So he would always talk to me about how to play, you know, as an offensive lineman or just the game of football from an engineer's standpoint. Right. Uh, he was. Okay. Always that's what I wanted to hear. Yeah, that's awesome. That, that's that's my favorite part. So he spoke a different language to you. Yeah, he did. Yeah. And, and And it's funny you say language because he always talked about how. Look, math is just a language. There's a lot of things that are just a language, and it's really about how you yeah. interpret it, understanding the terminology, and then being able to execute, you know, at a high level because you understand, you know, how the different moving parts all interact and go together. Once you can speak that language, you're good. So, uh, yeah, what what is that? It's almost like a perfect logic. If someone, an engineer, say from NASCAR, can speak to somebody who who is on a, in a computer field, but they talk. A similar language you just get it yeah I mean, there's th certain things that your dad said i bet when he said it you're like oh i understand that yeah and you can see it not only that you can explain it to somebody and that's that's wonderful logic well and you think about the uh you know the co's that you've had uh, you know or or uh you know you think about like the coaches right like in 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 sports and man there were coaches that i had uh, they were speaking swahili i have no idea what they were trying to tell me you know what i mean and I would go home, and it's not as if I would sit there and debate with my father. You know, my, my, my dad was independent to a fault growing up. Um, you know, spent like the first seven or eight years of his life in a hospital, taught himself how to play every – he can play any instrument on earth. Toured with the big bands like Woody Herman, Cy Zentner, uh, never went to college, but, you know, has many patents. And he, he's – again, he's brilliant. Um, he, he's a different guy. But when he would talk to me about football – I got it. It made sense to me. And, and it helped me on the field, right? Um, 
and then, you know, again, you know, the idea that I was going to go play college football just never, never entered my mind because I didn't, I didn't really get the the whole premise of it. Right. They're going to pay for your school. They'll take care of you. You know, you, you know, you got all these opportunities. Um, I just felt blessed from day one. So yeah, I mean, to sum it all up, I'm a, I'm a kid that grew up in a unique home with some really powerful people that poured into me, invested a lot into me. And then I hit, you know, I don't, I don't want to say the lucky streak. I worked hard for it, but you know, I was very fortunate to end up in the path that I, that, that I, you know, ended up on. That's really awesome. What college did you end up going to for our listeners? So I went to Purdue. Um, it's about two and a half hours straight west of where I grew up. I can remember riding my Honda Shadow, my Hardly. It was one tank of gas could oh, get yeah. me from my farm. I know what that is. <laughs> yeah, buddy. I mean, think about that. One tank. I think it was like three gallons or maybe less. And I could get from, you know, Greenville, Ohio to West Lafayette, Indiana. That's awesome. So siblings. I mean, when you talk about in the, in the direction that you go in, it, people who have great fathers, they some of them don't go in similar directions. Sometimes that doesn't rub off. I mean, yeah, you got to. Do you have who else was around you that kind of kept you pushing in that direction? What basically what I want to know? There's always something like when you catch a a, a, a whiff of something and it, and you get on that, and when you activate and you can't you can't stop, right? That's your focus. How, what was that that lit football up in you? Was there a, a TV movie? Did somebody bring you somewhere? Somebody say something? Well, there, yeah, so two two parts to that. So one, um, I love the game of football. I think my mom, now my mom I haven't spoken about. Um, my mom was the metronome, right? And I don't just say that because she taught music for 35 years, which she did. Um, my mom was so consistent in how she raised us. My dad was, you know, so creative. I mean, he we'd come home, he'd have like seven pairs of glasses on. He'd have the pocket protector. He'd be, you know, charting some nebula or star cluster with his astronomy, you know, stuff that he did. I mean, he did everything, right? And and he's literally building computers. And then, and this is back when there was TI-82s and he, oh, he's wow. all this stuff Great together. Great pool, by the way. I had one. Thank you. You're welcome. You're yes. welcome. So, so I'm, I'm watching all this, but then in the background, there's the person that actually made sure we got to school on time, you know, that that we did our did our own laundry, by the way. I did my own laundry since the time I was seven. Yeah. And uh, that was my dad. Moms, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So but my mom, you know, she was so consistent with us and pushing us. And and, and there was one time uh, I had gotten a paper route in probably, let's say, March. I wanted to, I wanted to earn some money. And. I was, it, we got to the point where it was going to be football season was about to start up and we were going to have practices. And I was in junior high and I said, mom, I'm going to quit my paper route. And she goes, oh no, you're not quitting your paper route. You're doing both. You don't sign up and then walk away. And I said, well, I can't do both. And she goes, well, then you're not playing football because you're already committed to that paper route. <laughs> and so that was the only year that I didn't play. Now I stopped with my paper route, thank God, <laughs> went back to playing football, but you know, she was the disciplinarian. You know, she was the one that instilled a lot in me. And uh, and I think my love of football came from the fact that my mom was always like, hey, get out of the house. I don't want you in the house. Get out of the house. You're destroying everything. You're eating everything. You're eating me out of house and home, right? And go play this sport because I know you love it. And secondarily to that, I never went to jail when I hit somebody with pads on. So <laughs> that's the, you know, look, yeah. I, I don't sugarcoat it. I tell kids this all the time. 
football is a violent sport, and it should be. Now, it's not so violent anymore, but it should be a violent sport. But the caveat is it's controlled violence. Yeah. It's it's done within a, a set of rules. I love that. I absolutely loved it. Yeah, you know what kind of violence you're getting into. That, that's no what, doubt. It's a man in the arena. Talk about when your mom, because it's different saying it now when you're when you're older, because your mom can still crack the whip, right? But when they do do that, say, you can't play football, you got to keep that paper out. You're not happy like we are right now. But, and we're like, yeah, mom was great. That was an awesome thing to do. I'm so glad she did. When the moment transpires, you're pissed off. You, 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 all you wanted to do is qu- quit the paper route. So there, there's that for you young ones going through it. When you get, when that does happen to you, remember it, it, it is for a reason. Yeah. It sucks in the moment, but it's a life lesson that will. I mean, yeah, you really wanted to play football. You'd go back. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think again, um, and, and as a parent myself, now I've got four kids and you know, you struggle. Like even today we, we, we took the family out. We went to Cracker Barrel, which. Which That's going downhill. Hate lovely. to say that. Yeah. No. I... So, sorry if Cracker Barrel's a big supporter, yeah. but you know we're we're not we're not we're not dealing with the same world that we used to back in the day. But we go there, and you know they got the little store, and my daughter's like, "Dad, can I get this?" And it's like everything. Yeah, everything. They want everything, right? And yeah, it sucks to tell your kids no. I mean, we could get it for, but is it really meaningful? Like to your point, right? You said, you know, hey, t- talk to me two weeks from now and see two if weeks. you still want that. Yeah, two weeks. I mean, it makes so much sense, right? But you know, my mom, you know, she 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 was adamant about whatever you start, you will finish, whether yeah. you like it or not. And God bless her for that. If 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 that wouldn't have been something instilled in me at an early age, I could have walked away from a lot in life and missed out on many great opportunities. So when you were at Purdue, at what point did you realize, okay, I can actually make a living off of this? I'm not just getting school paid for, but this could be my life. Yeah, how was it? A good time, right? Playing college football has to be. And it was it it was it was unbelievable. So I go to Purdue, and we have a guy named uh, Coach Coletto. He's our head coach, and and he was at Ohio State for a little while. He'd been around, and. You know, he was a good coach. He just wasn't a great head coach. And he got fired about halfway through the season. And, and it was what, what, when, when y'all say that, tell, explain to me what that means. Because there's a huge difference between someone who can coach and someone who's a, a, a great leader. Yeah, no. And that's exactly what it is, right? You don't, you know, look, I, I think there are a lot of people in positions of leadership that that may not be like, for example, I, you know, you you probably had you know, people around you that, you know, were superior, you know, in rank and, and, but they, they couldn't have fought as well as you, or they couldn't have done a lot of things that, that you would put in the badass soldier category. Right. But they're damn good leaders. And it's no different in the coaching realm. You know, I was around coaches that, um, they were more like philosophers. Uh, matter of fact, one of the, one of the better coaches I had, you know, he wasn't a guy that would go out there and had never really strapped it on and had much success in the field, but he was damn good at getting, you know, in, in the case of college, over a hundred knuckleheads to all kind of get in line and and do the right thing, you know? And he talked about, hey, do what you're supposed to do the way you're supposed to do it, when it's supposed to be done and do it that way every time, right? Um, th- those kind of leaders are are very unique and they're hard to come by today in the sports realm. I'm sure it's probably easy to say in the military, you know, realm. But um, you know, I I 
I I go to Purdue and I I sign on to be underneath this coach who I felt really good about. I liked his staff. I liked the guys that recruited me. I wanted to go to Purdue. They had a phenomenal engineering program. I could relate to engineering realm because of my dad, right? Um, and and working with him at his company growing up. So everything was great until he got fired about week three, actually. And and but he he remained the head coach. And I remember thinking, man, this is not what I thought it was going to be. This is crazy because he was he was a good guy. He was a good coach, but not a good head coach. Not not good at instilling confidence when things were rocky or things got difficult or really being able to communicate the things that we really needed to do to be a better football team. As a player, what do you think it takes to be that? Like, do you think it's, we actually had this conversation the other day with one of Marcus's best friends. It's a strength and conditioning coach. Do you think it's better to be that guy that's just screaming their head off, yelling at you and just trying to get you in line or someone that's more strategic in talking to you and problem solving? You know, it's a, it, it's a good question. And by the way, it doesn't surprise me at all, Marcus, that your friend is a strength and conditioning coach. Cause those guys are all out of their minds. They're all nuts. Wiley. Do you know who that is? Have you ever Gosh, heard of him? I don't. Where's he, where's he at now? He's at USC. He's at USC. Oh man. All right. So he's definitely out of his mind. You yeah. know, those- <laughs> Oh bro, check it out. From the Cowboys, we, we, yeah. we grew up together, went to college together. Sam Houston State went to the Cowboys, went to Texas Tech, went over to Tennessee. How you doing? Then, boom, yeah, buddy. jumped over to Texas for a little bit, UT. and then went to USC with a whoa with a minor oh, oh, stop yeah. over in Abilene. Oh, excuse me, thank OU. you. Oh, what's well, OU? I always leave that. That's yeah. the Texas thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was at OU and now he's at USC. That's the Texas thing, they man. grew up together and he's a badass. But we were talking about this with him, is but he was talking about it from a coaching standpoint. I'm curious with you what because he had a moment. Yeah, he had a moment with a player where he lost his mind. He was cussing, foaming at the mouth, yelling at him. And the player, college kid, looked at him and said, Coach when you start cussing and losing your mind, I tune you out. But when you just yeah. tell me what I need to do, I, I can implement that and actually yeah. fix it. But the way you said it, cause it's almost like when you're talking to someone, you're, you're teaching or you're coaching, you get this kind of a coach's rage. He said the players kind of did him like a psychiatrist or was like, Hey, coach. <laughs> You know, that's yeah. so funny you say oh, that because yeah. today they I could see that happening a lot. Right? Um, <laughs> back in the day, I couldn't imagine that happening. No. And, and look, they're different animals, dude. They're, they're right. different animals. They they are, they are. And and I'm not I'm not even trying to say that they're that one's right. No, I'm not either. Yeah, I would other. never do that. Right. Yeah. And 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 to your point though, Melody, I the the thing that um the thing that I think makes a great coach is their ability to switch gears depending on who it is they're coaching. So sometimes you need to MF the guy to death to get him to listen. Um, I, I would maybe even put myself in that category. 
Me too. Um, I, I completely agree with you. What 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 is that? It's like, is it if you had it growing up, then you don't like it when you're getting coached? There's no telling, right? Because for every time we say, "Oh, it's this," something else will show up. But I'm the same way. When you're yelling at me, I, I you got my attention. Yes, you have my and, and you know part of it. Um, and maybe this is just for 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 me personally as an individual. I think it's the fact that that coach could dog cuss me to the to the cows come home, right? I've already done it far worse than he could ever do it. So I never took it personal because I'm doing it to myself. Like, how the hell did I just allow that to happen? I mean, my God, keep your weight inside. You know, set proper. You overset the son of a bitch. You know he goes inside. Like, how hard is this? Like, he's yelling at me, but I'm doing the same thing in my head. Oh, so, yeah. okay, I need to and, – and by the way, the more he yells, the, the more pissed off I'm getting at myself. I never really directed it at my coach. Other than one time here in New England, I kind of I, I let it get to me, and I and I I mouthed off to my my head coach, my not my head coach, my offensive line coach, and it's the only time in my life, and and I don't want to say I regret it, um, uh, but I've got a ton of respect for this guy, always have, always will. He's one of the best coaches of all time in league history in the game of football. Period. Um, his name was Dante Scarnecchia, is Dante Scarnecchia. He's an absolute legend, coached here in New England for, I don't know, 35, 38 years. Um, was it SMU back in the day when they, I think they got the death penalty. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he was a part of that. I mean, he is a legend in the coaching community and I lost my mind on a legend, which is not a smart thing to do, but I felt justified when it happened. You know, it's like checking Gretzky, man. Somebody had to do it. Yeah, but you know what? It actually brought us closer when it was all said and done. He sure, didn't talk. I probably couldn't believe you did it. Yeah, well, <laughs> it, it, he he literally he would say, you know, we'd be watching film. He's rewinding it, and he's like, "Somebody tell the left tackle that he sucked on this play," and he'd just rewind. He wouldn't refer to me. He wouldn't talk to me directly, but uh, but he had a lot of fun. But it, it it taught me a lesson, and and I've always been a fan of, hey, look, whether you like it or not, right. You don't ever you don't ever mouth off to your superior. You don't ever mouth off to your coach, your boss, or anybody. If you have a problem, find a way to deal with it. And if you need to have real words, do it um, one on one. Right? I did this in the middle of a practice, so you know um, I, I only say that because it taught me a big lesson. But coaches today versus coaches of the past, coaches today don't have the opportunity to really do some of the things that coaches in the past did a, because they don't even really practice that much anymore and they don't get that much time with these guys doing it at full speed. Right. So, you know, I, I, I tell you, it's a, it's a tough job regardless, but today I think being a great coach is harder than ever. So once your coach left at Purdue that you signed up under, did you get a good coach after that or did it go downhill? We did. We got a guy that that brought a whole different mindset to the Big Ten. We were playing basketball on grass, basically, is what they called it. Drew Brees enters the equation. Um, hey, the, you know, the Brees, good man. Texas boy. You know, good. We yeah. actually know him. Yeah, yeah, great, <laughs> great guy. Great guy. Uh, he's he's the best. I mean, you know, look. I mean, he he wouldn't have gone far without a great offensive line. Clearly, you know, but um, <laughs> clearly, no, we uh. We had so much fun together, and and that that era started under Coach Tiller. You know, guys like Breeze, 
Um, so many other great players that that came through Purdue at that time, and and we turned things around. I mean, we went from a you know a Big Ten school that everybody kind of laughed at and overlooked to a to a Big Ten you know championship our senior year with Breeze leading the charge. So um, that was that was a great experience for me. I mean, it taught me a lot in a short period of time. That had we like to go to games. I mean, Hunter over here has gone to so many championship games and just loves the the energy and the atmosphere of that. So from someone that had never been to a college football game before you were actually playing in one, being at that championship, that had to just be this moment of like, oh shit, what am I doing? Like Yeah. Yeah. And and by the way, my family, my family, I mean, we, we never had a TV on growing up. Right. I mean, we weren't, you know, we were outdoors and, and my, my parents, they didn't watch sports, let alone football. And then by the time I get to my senior year at Purdue and, you know, we're playing in the Rose bowl, they're like crackheads. They know everything about sports. They know everything about the game. That's of football. how it usually works. Yeah. That's how it usually works, bro. Once like like oh, I don't know anything about it. I'm like once you know somebody or it kind of checks on board, they're like, hey, they know everything. <laughs> that would be me. I will read every stat. Like, oh, did you know? Well, I mean, it's amazing. My dad, my dad created a website because again, he's very technologically savvy. And again, this is back in the 90s, right? And and well, this would have been 2000. We go to the Rose Bowl, uh, 2001, I guess, technically. And uh you know, he's got my dog guessing the winners of each week's games in the Big Ten by putting names of like Michigan State and Wisconsin on like a dog bone and then throwing them to him. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. His own college game day. Yeah, what what the heck is happening? Right. So, you know, it was it was wild, but you know, leading up to the Rose Bowl, you know, we had a string. We went to four straight bowl games. We went to the out Al, uh the Alamo Bowl two years in a row, then we went to the Outback, and then we ended up in the uh the Rose Bowl, and and I got to tell you, you know, e- each one of those moments when the pressure was at, at its at its height, right? When when everything was on the line, um, from one year to the next, you know, like you you make it to a to a bowl game one year, and then you're lucky enough to do it the next year, but things always seem to ratchet up, right? And and I think that kind of pressure, being thrown into that kind of a fire, playing in the Big Ten playing for a championship, playing for a, a bowl game win, you know, teaches you a lot if you're fortunate enough to be in those. Yeah, why does it change? It Does it change because you're making great, because you're actually progressing in school, like from sophomore to junior to senior? It's got to make it feel different too, right? Because at a different level, you feel different, you're growing. Does that have anything? I never experienced that, but it seems like it'd come into play a little bit. You know, I I think that's yeah, I mean, part of it. you know I'm talking about like in each university yeah. with the bowl games at the end of it, or does each season recycle? Well, every, every season is is like almost starting over again in terms of like they make the you feel like that, right? They make you feel like that on purpose, no doubt. And and part of it is rightfully so, right? Because you know you, you never have, especially in the National Football League. You'll have at least at least forty percent of the guys that were there the year before are gone. Yeah. So you could almost say half in a lot of the locker rooms around the league because of coaching changes and the carousel that is the NFL yeah, with so all that stuff. Two years, maybe every two years it changes, probably. Well, yeah, with coaches and then and it, but That's even talking about yeah, with everything, with everything cycling. That's a military career. Same thing. Yeah, you're in a uniform and you either cycle to a different command. Or your head shed cycles. Yep. 
I yep. I looked so, at it like that too. You said that, but that's that's pretty squared away. And I, I noticed with the coaches, the best way I ever heard it explained, and this came from a guy who was a straight up killer. I mean, this guy was scary to the day. I can't even believe it. He's like, I was like, how do you deal with everyone screaming at you? He's like, oh, it's just my inner voice to put in some human form. Oh my gosh. And he's like, it's just yelling at me because it can't hurt me. You know, because most everybody's he was a, he was way past the fear thing when it came to another human. So he's like, anybody screaming at me or something, especially if I messed up, because you're always harder on yourself. He's like, if I yep. really want to be hard on myself, I'll put it in human form and let it yell at me. <laughs> and he's like, and I was like, that's a pretty good way of looking at it, man. Roger that. So oh my gosh. Yeah, I never forgot that. Okay. So then you go to the Patriots. Do you go straight to the Patriots after college? I did, what yeah. Round, what round? What round did you come in? All right, so we we get done with the Rose Bowl. Um, I, I made a little stop in Vegas before I made it back to the Midwest. Good for you. Good for you. Sorry, <laughs> it happens. There's a spot there. There's out in the town. Everyone breaks down. It's cool, man. Which, which, by the way, is where you and I, the only time I've ever met you, we were in Vegas. I was I, I, with I, man, I've met this dude. I was Are like, I know saying? I've met him. No doubt. I was with Willie and uh, and maybe Rochi was there too. I can't remember who all was there. I think it was the shot show. We were at some bar somewhere in the back with a whole bunch of guys, and it was a uh, it was a night to remember. Oh, how funny. I told you, yeah. I that, dude. I was, like, <laughs> was that at the restaurant that had the uh rock? The steak on the rocks. It, I think it may have been. Yeah, it may have been. And I can tell you this. I can tell you dinner. one. Other, yeah, dinner. Yeah, I can tell you one other thing. And you had a couple of your your guys that you you serve with, and you guys were cutting up, telling some great stories. It was it was a lot of fun. But the one thing that really stands out to me as it relates to you is Willie and Jep and Adam and I. And a, and a number of other folks go with General Dempsey on a USO tour. And we are on a C-130 coming in pretty aggressively on a descent to, <laughs> <laughs> to land in Bagram, right? And we are watching your movie that you somehow pirated to Willie on the plane as we're coming in to land there. And I'll never forget how how odd it was that that was like the, the scenario like that's where i first saw the film was on a c-130 coming in to land in bagram as we were finishing oh. the movie but, that's awesome yeah. that's that's doing it the real imax way yeah <laughs> yeah that's right i mean because right. once the ramp dropped and you're in there that smell yeah oh you know what i'm I talking about the, the first thing they told us they said if you're here for about a week, you will have ingested a Snickers-sized piece of poo Ew. because all they do is burn poo. They gave you the inside gouge. I wasn't going to go that far with it, but yeah, okay, so that happens, but don't worry about it. Okay. We're past that. Okay, back you to, made it. No. Back to Vegas. You go Rose Bowl. You go to. You have a little stop in Vegas and have fun. Right, and one then, question. Yep. Outback Bowl. Who'd you, did y'all play Clemson? Outback Bowl, we played... Uh, oh, we played Georgia. Okay, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Richard Seymour was there. Stroud. There's a. I mean, they had a hell of a defensive line at that point. That was that was a wild game. Um, all, right, all right. So draft time comes in. What year is it? Yep. So draft. So 2001. I'm at the uh, Neon Cactus, my favorite watering hole in West Lafayette. 
We're sitting there waiting for, you know, this draft thing to unfold. It's the end of the first round. I get a call from Scott Pioli, the head of player personnel for the Patriots, and he says, hey, uh, you know, stay by your phone. I think we're going to take you here. We got a pick coming up. And I, again, I've never seen a draft in my life, and I'm having a good time. So I was just nodding my head and saying, yes, sir, and sounds great. And about five minutes later, and I have no idea what pick they have, by the way. So they're on pick like 34, 35, whatever it is, right? So they're not telling you anything. Kind of talk about that a little bit because I, I spent some yeah. time with the kids that are going through that now. And I'm like, man, it's, it's got to be a feeling like no other. I mean, you're actually waiting. It's a huge and everyone's watching. It's, it's, a, it's a complete dynamic that y'all are unique to have. I mean, yeah. no, no one else has that. Well, you have an agent that's telling you, hey, here's the people I'm talking to. Here's what what I think is going to you know, unfold. I think this team's going to want you. This team may leapfrog them because they, they really like you as well. So you know, we'll have to see what happens with trades and how they do things. But these are the teams we're looking at. And here's where their picks are, are currently. Um, so you kind of, you know, your agent tells you what he thinks is going to happen. But well, were you lucky enough to get a Jerry Maguire or did, who'd you get strapped up with? Man, I I was I was uh, I was really lucky. Um, yeah, I had I had a gym. <laughs> yeah, he's all right, man. I I had, had a gym. He was uh he was the best man, and and uh, I love this guy. And he was my agent my entire career. So you know I'm I'm sitting in this bar. Breeze is the first pick of the second round, so he's the 33rd pick in the draft. Right, we're celebrating his you know trip to San Diego and. High five and him, everything's great. And we're all sitting around. I get the call from Scott Pioli. And then after I hang up with him, about five minutes later, I get a call from a guy from the Jets. And this guy's telling me, Hey, man, we're taking you. We got a pick coming up. It was like pick number, I don't know, 49. And uh, the Patriots traded up. Well, I, as I'm talking to him, I get a call from Scott again. And he goes, Hey, who are you talking to on the other line? And I remember thinking, like, How the hell does he know I'm talking to somebody? Yeah, they know. Everything. And I said, I'm talking to this guy from the Jets, and he goes, well, hang up with him because we're going to take you ahead of them. So the Jets had 49th pick. They traded up and got the 48th, and they drafted me. And I'll never forget, he said, hey, you're going to go from blocking for one one Drew to another, meaning, you know, Drew Brees is my quarterback. So now at least I know the New England Patriots have a quarterback named Drew. Other than that, I didn't have a clue. I didn't know what where I was going. I didn't know what state the Patriots played in. So Bledsoe, Drew Bledsoe. I mean, who? We yeah, were. yeah, Drew Bledsoe. Yeah. That was. Nice. By the way, ten million dollars a year for ten years. It was like the largest contract in the NFL at the time, and I have no idea who this Joker is. And by the way, he was a phenomenal teammate and a really like he was a Joker. This guy was funny. That's awesome. So I have to say, in your NFL career, because, I mean, you had a pretty phenomenal one, Super Bowls and all of that, which, by the way, I went to one of the Super Bowls. Uh, it was in Arizona. Oh, uh, not a good one. Yeah. Don't yeah. remember who y'all played. the Giants, I believe. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. So I, I was oh, we, we got one better for you. Go ahead. Yeah. I think I said this on the email. Hunter went to your camp that you would host in Football Boston. camp way back in the day. Yeah, that's unbelievable. Were you at Were you at Bryant or were you at Wheaton? Wow. Uh, to be honest, I don't really remember. I was eight, I was, and I don't I was, remember. I was probably eight <laughs> years old. I uh, just flew into Boston and went from there. Yeah, that's one, amazing. 
one of our friends lived up there and said, Hey, there's this football camp going on. It's by Matt Light and he won the Super Bowl and blah, 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 like all this. And I was like, I'll pay for it. I'm not going up there. I mean, he, I didn't have to go up there. I just flew him and he did all of that. <laughs> Must not have worked out very well. He didn't play football. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, what I'm talking about here. Look at him. He's in here with me. <laughs> Matter of so, fact, he became a baseball player. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I did both. No, I know. I'm just mad. It's awesome. Yeah, man. He played football till he, till he yeah. got, but yeah. But tell us a, li- a little highlight of your NFL career. You know, um, gosh, he, here here I am. I, I As my offensive line coach would say, light, you don't know if the ball's pumped or stuffed. He's like, you have no idea what you're doing, but we're going to hey, get you. Is there a difference? Yeah, <laughs> I, I think so. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, ask Brady because he I don't think he really knows how to fill one up either, apparently. But um, no, that's terrible. Um, It's great. I love you, Tommy. I love you. Um, So, you know, I think for me, when I think about my career, I go back to that first season. You know, here we were, you know, the New England Patriots that we had the worst stadium. It was worse than a lot of high schools in Ohio. Um, there are rats running across our feet. Uh, when you showed built- up, that, is that true? So it's kind of like out of, out of a movie, out of a damn movie. Oh, no doubt. You walk in, everything's busted up. You're going to have to rebuild something from nothing. That's oh, man, listen. Because most people don't know now after what y'all built and what y'all did. Yeah. I mean, they just don't know what it was like back in 01. Hell, everything changed for us in 2001 now that I'm thinking about it. We all came online. Man, that's a fact. And, and I got to tell you. The kids today, they're growing up here in New England, and if they're, you know, 20 years old, the only thing they know is winning championships. Yeah. And that's all they know. I mean, I don't care if it's the Red Sox or, you know, the Bruins or or the Patriots or Celtics, whatever it may be, they're used to the success. But when I got here, it was the old school, grizzled, hardcore New Englanders that loved the team but didn't have any expectations as it relates to winning. I mean, I'm dead serious. They There's were there. That's a real thing. Oh, oh no doubt. They they were. Gr- I mean, look, they're my people. I I I love our fans. <laughs> I can say and this: they're my damn people. That's they are I- my people. Yeah. So, I come in and I'm, but I'm I'm a little kind of taken aback. I mean, the facilities were way worse than what we had at, at Purdue. And again, there's a lot of high schools that have better facilities. And I'm thinking, woof, we're in trouble. And then. We get into the practices, and it's Bill Belichick at his finest back when – I mean, we we damn near practice three times a day, and we're down at Bryant College. It's hot. It's miserable, and it's literally get it on every day, all day. Guys are dropping like flies. They're trying to get me to play the right side. I mean, it was, it was a tough camp, um, battled a little injury, but then I end up making it into season you – know, uh, the season, but week one, and we're playing in Cincinnati – which is about, you know, two hours from where I grew up. And I got all my family coming down and I get stuck the night before the game on a bridge crossing the Ohio River. And I'm late to our team meeting the night before the game. Good for you. Never forget that. Uh You'll never forget it. (laughs) You want to talk about feel like, oh, I I literally I I knew I was going to be done. I knew I knew I was going to be cut. And because that that's the atmosphere, right? Oh, he ran Real it like that. that. He he ran it like that. Coach ran it like that. He's hardcore. Oof. All the way, man. If you're overweight, there's a chance that you may get cut because there's a weight on everyone. There's, there's good, is, he a, is he a yeller? Or is he like a disappointed looker? He's a he's a 
the opposite of what you think it's going to be every time. Oh, like when those are the worst. Yeah, oh, yeah. Those oh, are yeah, the professionals. Yeah. You know, that's a gift from God. <laughs> those guys that can hit you from the, the opposite angle. Yeah, That's a fact. Yeah, so he doesn't say a word to me that night. My offensive line coach, you know, he let me have it. And then we get, we go to the stadium the next day, have our pregame meal, have our meeting, go to the stadium. And as I'm going out, I no, no, we had gone out for warmups. And now we have this like little lag period between coming back in the locker room and going out for the start of the game. Are you sweating Locker- this or are you just thinking it's over? No, well, no. At this point, I'm like, okay, I'm going. I mean, this is it. I'm, no, by the way, I didn't practice hardly at all in training camp because I had a severe high ankle and Bill wanted me to play the right tackle. And dude, I couldn't play right tackle. I mean, you, you might as well ask me to be a DB. I mean, left tackle was my position. I could move to the left, but doing it on the right was a foreign you know, that was not going to happen. So he switches me back over and I practice maybe three days before the game. And I, and that's all I practice for basically the entire training camp. And now I got to start. So I was already, you know, I, I mean, my asshole was tight, buddy. I mean, I was, I was clinched. Yeah, yeah, I bet. That's so, what I was asking. I was like, Hey man, what's that feel? I was like, yeah. fucker factor. I, I've got my church down here with a bus. Like, I mean, half my town. I mean, yeah. you could have robbed Greenville, Ohio, and no one would have stopped you. Everyone, no. everything was closed. Everyone was here. Yeah. Okay. Oh, it was crazy. And so now you know, this is a script to a movie, right? Yeah. That we're, we're <laughs> playing that right now, man, because it's brilliant. Go ahead. So, so now I'm in there, and and we have this little lag period between you know going out for the start of the game. We've already done warm ups, and Bill walks over to me. And he's like, you know, all right, look, you know, I mean. I'm not going to start. I mean, you can't even come to the, I mean, the night before the meeting. I mean, what the <laughs> fuck? And, and this is how Bill talks, right? It's like very choppy. And I'm just sitting there and I'm like, oh my God, what's going to happen? And he goes, you know, so you just sit on the bench and watch what professionals do. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I just got benched. And then it's like, what is my family going to think? Oh, my, this is terrible. So I sat on the bench all the way for the first quarter, second quarter. We go in at halftime, and Bill walks over to me. And by the way, we're not playing well. I mean, we're basically doing what the Patriots do. We're playing pretty crappy. And at halftime, Bill walks up to me and says, all right, get yourself ready to go. You're in. And I'm like. By the way, that's a thousand times worse. Like you're, you've been sitting on the sideline. You're cold. Your engine is not even close to being warm. You've already told yourself you're not playing in the game. And in a little way, I may have even been a little thankful because I wasn't technically oh, sure. And then the whole time you're over there, all you're doing is beating yourself up. So I mean, it's not yes. like you have a positive motivation in there in, in, in any no. capacity. And then it was like, all right, kids, you're up. And and I went out there for the second half. And I promise you, if, if I went back and watched that film right now, I'd probably throw up. It was probably one of the worst games a left tackle's ever been involved in. But I survived it. And then, you know, look, to, to fast forward, right, we, we, we then had 9-11 um, during that season, obviously. That was, that you know, like everyone, that's a moment you won't ever forget. I was in the training room getting treatment. There was one TV in the stadium. Period. That was the only TV. And it was in the training room. 
And I remember that happened. I remember going home. And then, you know, I remember the fallout from that. We also lost our, our quarterback coach, Dick Rabine, died uh, in training camp. And so there's all this adversity and all this stuff. And, and I'm a rookie and I don't know anything. And, you know, battled some injury too, tore up my shoulder pretty bad, had to wear this stupid cast. And then the next thing we know, we made the playoffs. And then we're, we have the Oakland Raider game, you know, the snowball and the snow angel with Lonnie Paxton and, yeah, yeah, and yeah, all this right. stuff. And, and it was crazy. And, and, and now we're in the Super Bowl. And, and the thing that stands out the most to me is seeing my pregnant wife, Susie, my parents, my, my other friends and family members that came up on that wall and trying to get them over the wall to celebrate with us on the field. And we had just won a national, a world championship. I mean, it was overwhelming. It was surreal. It was wild. I mean, you you can't write something like that, but you're blessed to be a part of it. That's awesome. So I, I've heard a couple of people was watching a documentary. As a matter of fact, last night with, um, it was pumping iron and it was yeah. McClue and, and Arnold and, and, a, and a lot of the old timers were looking back to like, Hey, I wish I could have, if I could go back and change anything, it'd be this. I wish I would have had a good time. Like during the, the whole moment. And, and I never thought about it like that. And because when we're in the moments, like when you're in the game, you're playing the game. It's yeah. almost like, hey, can you be a fan while you're playing? Can you imagine what that would feel like? I, it's, it's almost be impossible to do it, though. You know, like you're dorking out after every move. But just think of the joy that comes with that. You know, it's it's interesting that you bring that up because, you know, one of the things. So my wife thought that I was going to get cut pretty much every day. <laughs> and and, and now, now, I mean, that's, I don't know if that's a whole different podcast altogether, but that's a... Uh, that life is like dying every day. It's like, yeah. you know, hey, man, I don't know. That's a purgatory. It's, yeah. That's a tough in itself. Yeah. Now, the reason my wife thought that, it's not necessarily because I wasn't very talented, which, I mean, in a grand scheme of things, I mean, look, I was a small slept tackle. I'm like, not quite 6'5", right at 300. I, I, don't, I don't spend any time in a weight room. It just was never my thing. Uh, you know, so I'm not strong. I'm sure as hell not fast. Um, I'm not giant like these guys are today, but I like to fight and I take things personal and I want to get better every day. So, okay, so I survived it. But the reason my wife thought that I was going to get cut every day is because I love to have fun. Yeah. I love it. And I love the bus balls and pull practical jokes. And so I did these to Bill and I did them to other members of the staff because they were funny. And I felt like somebody needed to all pun intended, keep things light and create yeah. a little liberty and have some fun, right? You have to. That's and, why I name you that. <laughs> I've been trying to explain a lot of, you know, these names aren't by accident, right? Some people get stamped. So you can do, when you know when you see it and then they label it and they can say it out loud. Yeah. Well, so look, I mean, Bill's not the kind of guy that, you know, just loves to have, you know, people joking around all the time. Matter of fact, I think the one thing that drove Bill nuts about me is that I didn't worship the game of football. You know, most of the guys I played with, they knew they wanted to be a professional football player since the day they were born, yeah, yeah. you know? And and yeah. Bill loves football guys. He yeah. loves the guys that eat, sleep, and breathe it. And then there was me. The minute I left, I was the first guy off the field in every game that I played in. And the reason wasn't to go get treatment and make myself better and watch film. I wanted to be the first guy at the bar. I wanted to greet everyone as they came in. I mean, I, I had the ability to shut off football. If I wasn't in that facility, 
Football wasn't anywhere in my vocabulary. It wasn't in my thought process. And that's that was just me. I'm not saying that's how you should do it. Matter of fact, I probably could have been a, a better player had I. No, no, no. Okay, so I I, I, I gotta, that brings up a question then. Because a lot of us, the guys I run around in my crew, I love football. I love watching it. But then there's the athletes. And the athletes are the ones that eat that up. And, I mean, they live it, breathe it, and it's all they're about. But then when they're – even when they're not playing it. And then you got the guys who, like you're talking about, he's like, hey, man, when, we're, when the game's on, it's on. But when it's not on and I'm doing something else, I'm doing something else. Those are more like minds, right, or the spirit. Yeah. I was like, they're, they're, they're different men are cut from different cloths, and then they, they act differently in different situations, but it doesn't mean we can't play together. But those yeah. coaches, that are, they're, it's – um. It's interesting to be in a community when you're the only one that's not like that. Mm-hmm. It's like being the sober guy at the bar. Yes. It's like well, everybody everybody wants you there. Yeah, you know, all things considered, right? I get what you're saying. Awesome. Yeah, so so for me, like, you know, again, I look at I look at things differently and and I'm not going to bust anybody's balls if I don't respect them and love them, right? So I never did it. Like there's a difference, right? There's the guys there's that a did huge things. difference. Yeah, there, there's the guys that did things and, you know, like the guys that would come over and smack you in the nuts, like, hey, I don't play that game. Like, you smack me in the nuts, I'm going to knock you the out, you know, like, it's we're on. And and that's fine if you want to do that stuff, but just don't do that to me. I, I, I took a different tact. And one of the ones that I think you'll appreciate is, uh, see, Bill, when you talk about leadership and you talk about how people lead those around them, everybody's techniques, you know, unique to themselves, Right. And and there's a lot of similarities, but Bill had a way of putting you on the spot that was really, really uncomfortable, right? So we <laughs> that's the a- worst. That's the worst. Oh. Man. oh, that's the worst. So we're in our team meeting room, right? And it's stadium style seating, and you got all the guys that aren't as smart as we are. That's the defense. They're over here. And then you got the offense, you know, really good looking, very intelligent. That we're sitting over here. And and there's an there's a divider in the middle. And so, but in a team meeting every morning at like 7.05, we're all sitting in this big auditorium and Bill would walk in and he'd get to the podium and all right, you know, look, I mean, here's what we got today. I mean, we're going to, we're going to get into offense and then, you know, but, but he'd always start out typically with what we're not looking for. Like the category of, he called in the category of what we're not looking for. And he'd read about how some Bengals player got arrested at a strip club. I mean, typically it was a Bengals player. I don't know why, but anyway, back then, and he would go through all this stuff. But one of the things that he did, especially at the beginning of the week, is that he would go through and he would just start asking questions. All right. Hey, Brewski, what, what do we expect the offense to be doing when they're running this formation? Oh, coach, uh, you know, we're looking for the deep end or the slant and blah, blah, blah. Okay, Brady, you know, we're third and long. We're in the red zone. What do we expect them to line up in? Oh, coach, they're going to be in, you know, you know, uh, cover two with the drop down, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, eh. and if you didn't have the answer, he was going to destroy you in front of the entire team, right? So everybody's on pins and needles. And and he wants to know, like, about the new opponent that we're getting ready to face. Like, it's, it's a Wednesday morning, right? So one year, I'm listening to this and see the defensive guys are like his children. Because he loves the defensive guys, like the offensive guys, we're just a redheaded stepchild, right? And the defensive guys, they're screwing up. They're not getting any of the questions right. But if, but they're not getting torn up. If at all, like if I missed up a question, he would just be like, "All right, like you, you got all the answers. What the, f-? you know, what are you thinking?" So I thought it'd be funny. So I walk in his office, but but also let me back up. 
it's actually a really important aspect of what he does. It holds people accountable. It forces them to watch more oh, film. Sure. Sure. It, it gets their minds right, right? And it keeps us all on edge. And I'm seeing it's it's kind of degraded. The, the year This year in particular, things were starting to go downhill a little bit. So I walk in his office and I have this great idea. Now, by the way, I don't ever want to walk in his office, but I couldn't help myself. So I walk in and I'm like, hey, coach. And he's sitting in his office. He's like, you know, you know, hey, what's up? And I'm like, hey, coach, I had this idea. What if you, when you ask questions, you ask me like three questions in a row that nobody would know. Tommy wouldn't know nothing. I'll rattle them off like, you know, lickety split. And it'll teach these guys they better know their stuff. And it'll get, get them on point because, hey, by the That's way, great idea. Yeah, I'm typically asleep in every meeting. Now, you know, only the offensive guys know this. I have like like self-induced narcolepsy. And if I'm not actively participating, it's why I can't shut it's up. Tough, right now. It's tough to I have that. Asleep. It's tough to have yeah. that, man. I get it. I get it. You know, it's tough. Yeah. So so I'm saying this to him and he just he kind of he's just looking at me. And that's the other thing Bill did really good. He, he forces you to have diarrhea of the mouth because you'll say something like, hey, coach, can I go to so-and-so? Nothing. He's just looking at you. And then you're like, oh, you know what, coach? I didn't even go there anyway. I'm good. And you're like, wait, well, why did I say that? I actually wanted to go there. but well, I didn't me... bring it up. Is it even a thing? I don't even know why in the hell I was thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, coach. I didn't even mean to stand here in front of you. Sorry. You okay, so. Something? <laughs> yeah. So I say this to him, and he's just looking at me. And I'm like, all right, well. <laughs> and I love awkward moments. I'm like, well, there's that. Okay, see you, coach. And I walk out. Now, I don't think anything of it. A week later, I'm walking in. And it's like a Wednesday. And, and Wednesday's a big install day. Better know the opponent, right? We we had Monday for film study on, on the opponent that we just played on Sunday. Tuesdays are one day off, but you're going in anyway. Wednesday, you better know what the heck's going to happen. And I walk in, and his assistant, Bear's like, hey, Bill wants to see you. And I'm like, oh, shit. Oh, man, like, what did I do? And I walk in there, and he's like, all right, look, you know, I mean, I'll ask you about, you know, you know, third down and you know, you can talk about, you know, what, what happens when they're in this formation. And then, and then I'll, I'll go to the, you know, the red zone. And, and then I'll ask you about their defensive coordinator, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, but coach, I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. Like, I need the actual answers. Yeah. And he's yeah. like, oh, so I literally get a pen and I'm writing all these answers on my hand. Right. And he's like, yeah, we'll have some fun. Right. So we go in there. And he goes through his stuff and he's drilling some people. And he's like, all right, light, since you got all the answers, tell me what they do on this. And I'm like, the square root of my isosceles triangle is equal to the right. bubble. It was like right off the top of my head. And I remember all the my, and I sit in the very back so I can't sleep. Everybody turns around and they're looking and they're like, what the hell? How does light know all of this? Right. But it worked. And I now I never said anything different. I wasn't like, oh man, that was just coaching. I having fun. I, I leave the meeting. Oh, yeah, room. kept it. Oh, yeah. I'm like, hey, man, you guys got to get in the film room, dude. You got to know your stuff, man. This is a big week. That's, that's like some, awesome. that's, yeah, that's Will Farrell from the old school, right? Just kind of stepping in there in the debate. I'll tell you what I got. That is so cool. Yeah. So we had fun. That's that is my, my, I also shocked Bill a number of times. I shocked, you know, it, it, we, we had a lot of fun back in the day, believe it or not. Pranking is, there's a, a light humor about it that isn't necessary. So I'm having to go through the transition now of going from being around guys, football players, and maybe you know, it doesn't matter the uniform you're wearing in our generation. It's extreme. If I was the way I was, I know you had to be the way you are for a reason. We were built that way. So now that I have the young ones online trying to prank them, I'm trying to find that happy balance. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Civilians don't take it as well sometimes, right? 
I did. Well, I, I did see uh, one prank that involved a private plane, law enforcement and other things like that. What uh, what exactly did that entail? And who it, was it with? You saw you saw the one that I did. I uh, I saw it written down on uh, on your bio, actually. <laughs> OK, I was going to say, because that's I don't let anything out. Um, and I got a little nervous there. So, yeah. So one time. <laughs> I had I had a buddy of mine and we were going to go on a hunt out in Utah and uh he has he has his own plane and he was going to be gracious enough to swing into Chicago right after Thanksgiving where my my wife grew up just south of Chicago and uh and sh- she puts up with a lot with me and I and she said listen we're doing Thanksgiving but if you want to leave after Thanksgiving you can so my buddy flies in lands at an FBO there in uh, near Midway and uh, when he when he gets in, uh, TSA agent boards the plane, tells him that there's a random spot check being done, a lot of traffic. You know, we need to have you guys come off the plane. It'll only take a few minutes. We'll get you right back in. Now, look, if you're a billionaire or you have a private jet, you don't ever get taken off your plane. You know, like that's just not something that happens. But this is a random spot check. So seemed like it all, you know, made sense. And they bring him into a little tiny hangar. And uh, that's when all hell broke loose, man. DEA agent came in. Oh, you know, that's they, awesome. Oh, yeah. They found <laughs> drugs and guns. Oh, yeah. They had them handcuffed on the on their knees up against the uh, wall. Oh, it was good. Yeah. Because you know, everybody does something. And even if it's a little thing, even if it's like, man, how do they even know that I left the lights on when I was supposed to or whatever? You'll, and especially when the brass starts showing up. How long did you plan that? Oh, it took a long. I'm gonna tell you. You you know, look, getting the pilot to go in on it that wasn't easy because you know that's his livelihood and he doesn't want to lose his job. The FBO didn't want anything to do with it, but we we convinced them that it was a great idea. But the thing that I did not account for, I thought it'd be really easy just to go and go online and maybe hit up Amazon and get a DEA and TS TSA jacket, but they don't just hand those out. <laughs> I don't know why I thought it was like a costume or something like Halloween. Everybody goes to the DEA agent. Nope, nope, that's not the case. So probably the hardest part of it was trying to get that done like days, mere days before this was all going to take place. But I promise you, the video itself is one of the most priceless things I had. And, and this came to me. I, I woke up one morning. And I said, oh, I'm doing this. I made the DS, DEA agent ask one of the guys to reach into his left pocket and he's pointing at his right hand and pull out the contents of that of what's in that pocket. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but I knew it would be funny. And it's honestly the thing that makes me laugh the hardest. Try reaching into your left pocket with your right hand if it's a jacket. <laughs> and, and by the way, it, he struggled mightily, but he did it. Now I know you're friends with LaRoche and uh, yeah. Willie oh, yeah. because they are all major pranksters. Total idiots. Total uh, so idiots. Funny. Okay. With all of the Super Bowls that you participated in, was there one that was more challenging that you'll never forget? Like a moment in time that was a life lesson that you'll just never forget? Yeah. I mean, they're, they're all, they're all nuanced, right? Like, um, I tell people, I tell kids all the time that we work with, look, I've won and lost every way you can win and lose in the National Football League. I've made the playoffs, not made it. Won the first round, lost it. Won the second round, lost it. Won the third round, lost it. Won the Super Bowl and lost it. Not once, but twice, right? So I was blessed to play in five. They were all very different, but I always go back to that first one. You know, the first one and the pressure and and the feeling, I mean, I 
Look, I never felt like I deserved to be out there. I I had never had a game that I looked at in my career and said, I kicked ass, right? I I I ruled the day at left tackle on that game. Ne- never once had that. Um, so I just felt blessed to just be a part of an organization, to be a part of a team. And 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 I always said this in the in the biggest moments. The way that I would call myself is, is I would tell myself, hey, man, you've done everything you can do to prepare and get yourself ready, right? I could look in the mirror and say that. And the reason I could say that is because I wasn't a guy that would take practices off. Matter of fact, I wanted every practice rep that we 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 did throughout the week because if I didn't have it, I was not going to go into the game feeling confident. What gives you that attitude? I think because on the hard days, that there's a lot of stuff that goes away. And there's always like, yeah. hey, man, what is this? Ultimately, it's like, hey, man, this is what you were made for. Yeah, I mean, I think I think for me, um, I don't know. I mean, I just I know I can always do it better. I guess that goes for anything. Right. I know I can always do it better. And I just I never, ever wanted to be the kind of person that said, like, oh, I got this. This is this is easy. Or this is, you know, I I, I rule like I, I don't know. Like I always felt like that was setting myself up for failure. It. It may be the case. I mean, I've, I've had games where I played pretty damn well, but it was never never even close to perfect. I think, honestly, it goes back to, again, like how I was brought up. You know, the people that I was around. I mean, nobody was braggadocious. You know, I mean, I may have had a swagger, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't talking about how great I was uh, ever. So, you know, and, and I think that humility served me well because it forced me to do it. I mean, look, I... I practice the little things every single day in practice. Always. Oh, attention to detail then. Yeah. I was going to ask you, what is it that got you? Because for me, suiting up. I, there was something that went into when I was putting my uniform on that the whole something changed on me. The air changed, the way I thought about it. And right before it would happen, I would get eager to go get into my to my suit, whether I was going underwater or about, anything. From a kid all the way through an adult. And the actions yeah, on the ground, that was something too. But man, that when it was suiting up time, I really got, got into that. Was there something you know what? like that that, that that happens for you? What, like what, what brought you in there? Was it being around the guys when you walked in? Or was it stepping onto the field for the first time? Like your first foot on the field or the first pass or the first block? What was it that, that, that you like to eat on? I loved I loved the opportunity to go out and prove that I, that I had it. That that that's what I loved. I loved the opportunity to go out and prove that I deserved to be on that team, right? And and I think for me, again, I, I I talk about joking around, and I did. I joked around a lot of practice and other things. But when it when we were actually out there competing. I had laser focus and I love that, right? I, I love to be laser focused, but good. I, yeah, I, it felt, it felt great, man. I, I knew, I knew what my purpose was. I knew what my job was. I knew that, you know, I have an opportunity to do it better now than I did then. And I, I love that. And, and when it was game day, 
I I wouldn't talk to anyone. I would go into it. I became a different person, man. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. Um, I, I had no joking in me. I didn't want to joke. I, I didn't even want to talk to my family. And most times I wouldn't talk to my family. I wouldn't go home if we were playing a night game. I just sit in the hotel room. I had I had to put myself into character, I guess you could call it. And uh, but the minute that game was over, man, it was back to the real world. Sure, yeah. Nothing feels better to a man is when you know your purpose. Mm-hmm. And I, I hadn't That's thought about it. You said I was like when I was in too in the uniform. When you have a uniform on and you know exactly in life, the universe has your ass right there for that purpose to do that job. You got paid for it and people cheering you on doing it. That's another thing. Like when you strap on the uniform in football and, and military, and you actually have people, that's a, there's a reward that comes with that. It's when your fellow Americans come like, hey, great job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you don't have any idea who they are, but they know who you, what you do kind of thing. There's, there's a hidden something in that world that we don't ever talk about. And you, yeah. you're doing something. There's a freedom. Like your your independence when you're moving around when you're not playing the game there's a freedom too that you that you have it's like a confidence like oh I'm this that's a I, and that's why I can go do this hey you'll you'll like this so I I, I tell kids a lot and I always refer to kids because we I speak to kids a lot and we work with kids through the foundation and I I love to tell them this because it's so true it's so true about about my life and and it's so true about how I see things but. You know, when you're when you're getting recruited and, and we'll go back to like draft day, right? Like we used to put up Brady's draft day picture because, they, you know, they, they bring you in when you're doing the combine and they put you through all these things. They measure how how wide it is from yeah. your thumb to your pinky. They make you run the shuttle, the 40 yard, all this stuff. But one of the worst things is they make you stand there with a shirt off. And then we would get these photos of guys and we'd blow them up like poster size and we'd put them throughout the locker room. Right. <laughs> Brady's was terrible. It was like the most soft looking body you could imagine. Right. And of a little kid just standing there like, Hey, and so Happy. if you look, <laughs> it's awesome. But if you look at what they say, like a Mel Kuyper, right, he's going to do a report and let's say he's doing reports on offensive linemen, a report that is really good would, would sound something like this. He's a very explosive player, good short space quickness, has great uh, knee bending, uh, good hips, knows how to engage and and drive power, um, good setter, you know, um, you know, fast off the ball, you know, good, good at pulling. But there's things that they say about offensive linemen when they're grading them, right? You know what they said about me? And I'm dead serious about this. There was one comment that was like, oh, okay, he's highly coachable. Mm. (laughs) I mean, I didn't have like he's explosive, he's strong, he's really big, good wingspan, none of that stuff. All they said was this guy is highly coachable. And honestly, I don't disagree. Yeah. Oh my god. Can't argue with that though. You just can't argue. But I liked that. it though. To your point, Marcus, like I, I, I and and I and, and this is almost I could I could talk out of both sides of of of, of my mouth, I guess on this one, but there is a comfort and having somebody tell you what to do. There really is, you know, like I I don't like to admit that sometimes because I am a free thinker and a free spirit and I'm very independent, but man, it's, it's pretty cool when you have somebody directing you on what you need to do. And then you see the, the, the fruits of that labor and, and, and there's comfort, man. That's all I can say about it. Yeah. We're calling the other guys. Yeah. In the in every in every community in every world it it, it exists. There's a flow and ebb and a flow. And guys will in football, baseball, doesn't matter. Sports, military, 
you got them. There's the guys you know who they are right away. Then there's the guys that you never see. Yeah. I mean, never see them. Don't even know their name or anything like that. Man, but if you remove one of them, though, then there's a problem. Yeah. Like, man, they're just happy to be there, guys. Just that freaking yeah. happy to be there, guys, man. We've taken a lot of your time, but I do want to mention quickly about your foundation. How did you and your wife start that? And what's your mission? So we we launched the Light Foundation in 2002 officially. So coming off that first season, that Super Bowl win, and looking at it saying, um, well, I thought my grandmother coined this phrase, but to whom much is given, much is required. I found out she didn't. Um, that wasn't her <laughs> writings. But uh, shocker. Um, you know, I knew that, you know, there's there's no reason I should have been paid as much as I I was paid that year to to play a game. And now okay, what are you going to do with that? And that was really the focus. And for me, I come from a family of educators. My mom taught music for 35 years. My dad taught at a college level and ran all these, you know, did all this stuff and loves to educate. And I said, okay, I want to work with young people and I want to instill in the in them the values that got me to where I am today. So let's do it. And uh, you know how easy it was to go out Ask people to support something you know, Super Bowl. I mean, and then you know we we won three of them in four years, and and I rode the wave of that success to help form the base, you know, and the foundation of the Light Foundation. And our work is simple: we want to impact the lives of young people by teaching them how to be real and putting real people in their lives that really hold them accountable and treat them like real people, not treat them like you know it, to try to coddle them, but force them to be real. And real as an acronym for us is responsible, ethical, accountable leaders. And and they don't have to be the president of the United States, they don't have to be the president of a company, but they're going to be asked to lead somewhere somehow whether it's their family or in their friend group or in a decision tree that hits them at some point in life. And so we do a number of different things. It's all, you know, a lot of it's outdoor based. Uh we do have one football camp. It's a free camp. We have about 300 to 400 kids every year. And it's a lot of fun, but that's about the only football thing we do. Most of what we do is teaching these kids through our leadership academy, how to look people in the eye, say, thank you, be respectful, show up on time, work really hard. And I'll tell you, Marcus, one of the things that blew my mind is last year, I brought in a couple of guys, you know, military guys that acted as cadres and they were cadres for an overnight challenge course that we created, right? And this challenge course, I had no idea how impactful it was going to be in the lives of these young men. And they come, and, and in this particular camp, they came from all over the country. It's something we've been doing for the last 17 years. And boy, you talk about a life-changing experience and pushing kids almost past the breaking point, you know. Um, it's it's and I tell you, the reason I bring that one up is, is because. People like to draw these analogies between or this 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 connection between football and the military. And I agree with 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 a lot of it. I don't agree with the idea that, you know, guys are saying, hey, man, we're going to we're going to war today. We're battling like, no, you're not. You're playing a game. Right. There, there's a clear difference. So let, let's let's say it the way it needs to be said. The things that I think are, are comparable is 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 how you work within a team what the expectations are, how they hold you accountable, how they push you outside your comfort zone. Those things, I think, are similarities in the sports world and, and what the military does. 
But my goodness, the men that I have been able to meet, like yourself, and the and the leadership qualities and the ways that you can impact young people is off the charts. There's immediate buy-in. If you walk into a room of kids that I'm that we have in our camp, they may not know your story, but they see it, and there is no BS. Like you're the real, you know what I'm saying? Like that's you're there, there are no qualifiers needed for people that come from a particular background, or as Liam Neeson would say, have a particular set of skills. So I I agree with you. The one thing I I found ironic is you were saying you didn't earn that paycheck of being a patriot. Well, you're a patriot and you're earning it now. Like you just got it in the beginning. Because giving back, bro, I mean, that's that's exactly what's happening. Yeah. I mean, you, you had to have fun up in front. The football captures it. The warrior spirit. So what I figured out about that is when you hear those guys talking about it's a war, it's a battle, that's their warrior. They have a warrior spirit inside them. Yeah. I could take that football and throw a blade or a rifle in your hand if we didn't have that. Like if all of us, and it's the best way to identify y'all too. I mean, imagine if we got paid to be the best soldier, if America was set up that way. You guys yeah. would definitely be doing this instead of playing the game. Because most of the time, you, it's, it's completely different yeah. and we get to play. <laughs> but we we have the sports, so our 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 alphas don't kill each other. <laughs> like that's how sport had to come online. Is because after we subdued the earth, we started killing each other, just just for yeah. for fun, right? So then, like, hey man, let's make a game. We got to do something, and then we just kept it kept evolving because every type of men, you know, something entertains them differently. Well, and but, sports get y'all through so many. Oh, it's so important. Dark times, man. It's so you, important. Yeah. You're just along with your boys. If you if you can't speak, you get the hit, and that's a guy thing. It's in our DNA code. It's how we survive down here. If that wasn't the case, it'd have been bred out of us uh, generations ago. But you know, I mean, and that's it, what we can see. Hey, and speaking of that, it's one of the things that worries me the most right now when I think about sports. Right? I've been on record saying this, and and honestly. I've I've been torn on whether I should speak up about this, but they've changed the game of football. They've changed sports in general in a lot of ways, but man, they, they don't celebrate the kind of things that a lot of these young men need that are playing a game of football. Right. I mean, they need an outlet. They need to be able to get rid of some of their frustrations. And, you know, I'm not saying that's the only reason you play the game of football, but for a lot of young men, and I'll speak personally, like it was that outlet. Oh yeah, it is. You know, that is. We yeah. just talked about that. That's why it came on. If you don't give us a way to do that, we'll start hurting people. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. it, it will explode. I mean, that's why it's in there. I mean, you can't. And we know that because we're talking about it. It's actually in us. I mean, it's a DNA thing, too, man. Just that survival thing. It's got to go somewhere, especially. Yeah, you have to embrace it within discipline. Yeah, discipline. And let it out. I mean, that's how that's how you do it. How but they changed the game, the game of football that they came up with that to where we can actually get vent that aggression where we don't kill each other almost to the border to the line i mean hell we do die in it you know guys do yeah. get hurt That's no doubt a freaking man's game but you know today in the game you know they these guys don't even have the ability to train properly you know everything changed after the 2011 cba and and the idea was we have to make the game safer and in a lot of ways we did need to make the game safer sure. whether it was you know, the the rate of concussion and all the head trauma stuff or just soft tissue stuff and 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 just being smarter about how we play the game of football. But they went completely overboard in that approach. And today the game is less safe from a rate of injury 
than it's ever been. And on paper, you'd say that'd be impossible, right? Because they don't hit half as much as we used to. After week three, I don't think they put pads on at all unless they're playing on Sunday. So, you know, I think there's a lot of things that need to be discussed openly. Um, I think as long as we have, you know, things that are propping up the game in terms of the revenue generation, until until the revenue gets impacted, oh, yeah. I don't think things will change the way they Man, should. That's human. That's might be American nature. We, You know how we that knee-jerk reaction, we go as far as we can the opposite direction to pick up the good stuff and it'll... It should settle back in. I mean, we yeah. do that. And yeah. we need it to. We need it to for those those kids that need the game of football, right? Yeah. Like, I don't want to see football waver or or fall off because that's going to impact a lot of other people that, that really need it. What a great country. And it's just, I think it's it identifies us as a great country that someone can make a living playing a sport. And not just any sport. With, I mean, I'm talking about the good ones, like basketball tennis and everything i'm talking about go down the line you could probably pay, make a living playing pickleball here <laughs> oh that's a hey that's think a about that too. i mean we live in a country where you can play a game for a damn living i mean and it, i mean like a real one bowling yes yeah. <laughs> bowling everything and we will pay to watch you do that yeah. that's a miracle I do have a friend whose parents are professional pickleball players oh see, my gosh. I, see i knew that though i, I knew about them you they're having kids. <laughs> That's unbelievable to me. That's when you think so about it, it, it's amazing. America is the greatest place on the planet. We can do that. So that how how can people support the Light Foundation? You know, probably the easiest way is just check us out. Go to mattlight72.com and uh, you can learn a lot about the programs that we run, the events that we have. You know, we have two of our, our two biggest events are coming up here in September September 18th and 19th is our corporate training day and then our celebrity shootout. The celebrity shootout we've done now, this will be our 19th year. This will be our fourth year for the corporate training day. And uh, yeah, we're shooting a lot of guns. We're having a lot of fun. But um, and and we're doing all that in New England, by the way, which they told me, oh, you'll never be able to run an event like that. Well, 19 years later, it's probably the biggest event in New England. Yeah, that's how you know when someone says yeah. that. If yeah. you ever hear that's the magic words. Ah, oh, you'll never you shouldn't be able to, you're not the one for that, or you're not the right. That's that's how you know. Yeah. Yeah, man. And and it's and it's service. Well, look, it it will we'll raise 85% uh of of our fundraising will happen in those two days and and give us the ability to continue to do what we do. So, you know, I I what what a blessing to to have that kind of support. We've had a ton of support over the years, but man, we're always looking for people to to you know join alongside us, whether it's with their talent. Um, with their resources, you know, with their expertise and their and their and their leadership, and and we have a lot of that. We have a, such a phenomenal team that really care about young people. They want to impact their lives, and the best part is they want to impact their lives by walking alongside them and being the example, right? Not being their best friend, not telling them, you know, just whatever they want to hear, but holding them accountable, pushing them past their comfort zone. And seeing the progress along the way. And uh, look, when kids come into our camp, they don't they don't have cell phones. We take all that stuff away. You know, we get real and we have real conversations with our fireside chats at night. We talk about real topics that affect them on a daily basis. We get them real help when they need it. And we put real people in their path to help them succeed. And honestly, it's the most rewarding thing I've done in life. So is it a summer camp? How like what's the length of time that they're doing it? 
So we have a lot of different programs. I call it the field of dreams approach. We build it. Um, we don't get government support. We we earn every penny, which means everybody on our staff knows that we don't go buy water if we can't, you know, if we can get it for free or we can find another way of doing business. Um, we're very efficient with how we operate, but we do a lot of different things. We got a 500 plus acre facility called Chinnawith Trails. Um, we host all of our bigger camps at that facility and that happens year round. But then we also have our partnership programs and then our third party groups like, you know, church groups and, you know, Pheasants Forever and Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts and all these other organizations, schools, you know, cross country teams, bands, they utilize our property. And if you have if you're working with kids, there is no cost to you and your organization. So we support the things that we created from scratch, our programming. We support the things that we partner with other organizations and then we provide opportunities for other nonprofits that work with kids to host their, you know, camps and their programs. One last question. Is your dad involved? Oh man, I love that. You're the best. So yes, everyone. So my mom, my mother-in-law, my sister-in-law, my kids, they handle the cooking. My dad handles the camp project. And this year he taught him how to make an arapuca. He's taught him how to make at Laddles. It's all cool stuff. If you're a young man, you get to learn how to make a spear. You get to take a turkey feather and turn it into fletching with sinew. Nap your own arrowhead because my dad's a phenomenal napper. Um, so these are time turkey hunter. My dad is not. I've got a problem with it though. That's your thing. You're you're <laughs> yes, a turkey sir. hunter. Okay, brother. That's we need so you, we need to go, man. Because the last three years that I've been turkey hunting, I've gotten just skunked, and I mean, bro, I was scraping i had turkey porn on the radio <laughs> nothing would bring them in i mean i was switching over from the shotgun and bow to the long rifle just to get a target on in my side i i just <laughs> it's terrible man like i you all put a scope on a gobbler that now we that's a problem hey man i was at my wits end bro i didn't have anything on the ground for years <laughs> it was self-defense um hey listen so here's what you're gonna do you're gonna come here next spring bring the whole fam i don't care Bring the entourage, whatever you want to do. But you and I are going to go out, and I'm 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 going to go on a limb here. We're going to kill. We're going to kill in three different states before noon. All right, I'll hold you to that, man. There's something about them. I'll bring the little ones too. You, when you're talking about, it's all about the kids. I went through that shift myself. I mean, I I, I just did, and it, it it's almost one of those things you feel it. It's like, hey, look. I don't want individually, yeah, the kids are important, man, but the overall lifestyle that you want to have them in, uh, more peaceful and down to earth, it's it's important because you can see them losing it. And we're the last generation to have that, me and you. After yeah. 2000, they were they're all born into it. They don't they don't know the the difference. So, yeah. Well, we do a we we do two youth hunts, right? We do a youth hunt in Ohio, we do a youth hunt in Rhode Island, and man, it, it is just it's phenomenal. We're going after up in Rhode Island. Uh, where's it at? No, what, what do you, what do you, what do you after? Oh, turkey hunting, turkey hunting. Yeah, we, we, one's better. in the last two years, and we typically take 10 to 12 hunters, right? We've, every kid's tagged out in the first three hours. That's awesome. Yeah. You know what? Every guy I ever talked to says that. <laughs> so this is how you know I'm an actual hunter. Okay. Because I don't know why pods, I'm going to show up. I'm gonna bring. I'll bring everything that kills. <laughs> we're taking good because we'll have fun. Yeah, we'll have fun, man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we're heading up to Maine on Monday to get out of this heat. So we'll be 
passing. Actually, we land in Boston. Yeah. And we, I love we're it up driving up. Hey, I got one, uh, one question. You could take this out too. Hey, during the Super Bowls, when you're playing in the show, was there one player or one play when you looked up and you're like, dude, how the hell did y'all get that done? Back no, up. you mean you mean like just like how the hell did when you, you were looking it? at it and you saw it go down and you were in awe. You know those great plays when someone's jiving so well, the flow. Like sometimes oh, yeah. guys get in the flow, you just to watch them play, like you can't stop them. You can't. I just I always love watching asking asking the athletes that. Yeah, man. Look, I mean, I think th- there were many times we go back and watch film, and and I, I wouldn't say it's it happens so much in real time. But when you go back and you break down the film and you see how close each 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 one of those plays that 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 created this epic series where you had this phenomenal you know turn of events in the game that that changed the course of the game right you see how how if one guy like that like like the ball almost got knocked out of Brady's hand like the guy was a centimeter from knocking that out of his hand and that would have ruined the entire drive right like so many critical aspects go into every single play by all 11 of the guys that are on the field. And I got to tell you, there were so many two minute, two minute is, is like a, an artistic dance oh, in, sure. the, in the game of football, yeah. right? It's brilliant the way y'all play that. And in the communication. And when you have a guy like Tom Brady and, and, you know, you could go on for days about what he brings to the game, but it's no more evident, no more vivid than when you watch him, work a team through a two-minute situation it's unbelievable man and the way that he did it the masterful way that he would communicate with the receivers and the line and the tight ends and the running backs and and how they would communicate back to him and how there'd be little adjustments you see a guy like Kevin Falk who's one of my all-time favorite teammates and he was Mr. Third Down if you needed a big play find Kevin Falk put every one of your guys on defense on him and he's still going to make the play you know, and and being around guys like that that were money every time you needed them in the highest pressure situation was one of the coolest aspects about playing that game, man. Anybody that anybody in the league when you were rolling around and just terrified of, like who, who just you knew <laughs> yeah, you got every one. week, man. You know, look as a left tackle, right? Like, like you're gonna in high get... school or college, you had the tough guy, like the bad. Oh yeah, guy. like hey, man, this dude right here will light you up. Hey, listen, I, I'm not a I, I've always been very honest about some of these guys. Dwight Freeney, number 93, Colts, right? He was a football playing Jesse. That dude could dial it up and get it on every single snap of every single game. And he is without a doubt, in my opinion, he's the best to ever play that position. He brought qualities that were so rare. Look. If you can win, consistently win with one move as a defensive lineman, you're an all-pro player. Think hey, about that for a second. Yeah, yeah, I got what you're saying. Yeah, right, okay. just not not, not like, you know, oh, he's so – he can do all – no, 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 no. One move that you can consistent, not every time, but consistently win with, you're an all-pro player. He had three. Not one, not two. He had three of them. He had a dip and rip. He had a speed to power. And, of course, he had the spin move. And all three of them were all world. And that guy, his instincts were second to none. And the thing that most people don't realize is every team that played him, they would put two or three guys on him, or at least have eyes on him, chip help, tight end presence, extra offensive linemen, 
guard helping the tap. I mean, you knew where that son of a gun was every snap. That's awesome. Y'all plan for him in the meetings, huh? <laughs> oh, that's the guy buddy. I'm talking about. Like when the coach is like, "Hey, we're playing this team, but this son of a bitch is on here, and we gotta we gotta watch out for him." That's a fact, man. And he was one of them. But you know, when I got to the AFC East, I'm I'm you know I get to New England. I got John Abraham, perennial Pro Bowler. You know, he's in New York. I'm seeing him twice a twice a season. We got um, Xerxes. Uh, Jason Taylor, I call him Xerxes because he looks yeah, just yeah, like I, him. I know exactly. <laughs> so JT's down in Miami, and he was the best in the game, in my opinion, before Freeney hit the scene. And then we had Aaron Schobel in Buffalo, who was another you know perennial pro bowler and just a high-motor, high-intensity player that just found a way to get to the quarterback, man. So, you know, look, those guys made me a, a much better player overnight, and I'm thankful for that. So do you have any piece of nostalgia that you took from that life that you hold on to? Is it one jersey in particular? Is it one of the rings? In, you know what I'm talking about? Like every guy has something. And hey, man. Him, he's like, oh, yeah, it's just right here. But like, not that damn thing. I'm talking about the good, the, the one thing when you look at it, like, man, that's it. It all boiled down to that. You know, I can't believe you asked me this and I'm going to do it. And I apologize. You guys can edit this and have fun with this. This may be its own thing. This is the one thing. Look, I've I've auctioned off. I'm going to pan over here for you. We're in my uh, crazy office here, but uh, bear with me. See, there's there's the three Super Bowls that we didn't screw up, right? <laughs> um, but look, if if you got a guy like you know Eli Manning, as goofy as he looks, I mean, y- you want to do something for him, right? I mean, we had to let him win anyway. Okay, so I'm, I won't even stay on that topic. But so, so thank you. So. Um, I've auctioned off most of my stuff, but I'm not really a, a guy that gets into that stuff, right? Um, I don't, I've never worn my rings. They sit in a lockbox in Ohio. So if you want to rob a bank, go to Greenville, Ohio. And uh, there's, down. yeah, all my rings. You want to keep them over here. <laughs> I actually never, I've, I've never had them out, right? So I, I don't wear jewelry. They're, they're cool as hell. Don't get me wrong, but um, I'm not that guy. But the one thing that I covet, and if I ever lose this, it'll ruin me. And it is an email exchange with Bill Belichick. Now, on That's the surface, this kind of thing. That's exactly what I want to know about. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so listen, uh, just just so you know, I've never heard of anyone receiving an email from Bill Belichick in the history of of my time when I played or ever since. And and the reason I bring that up is because it's. So foreign to think. I mean, by the way, I didn't even know Bill knew what a computer was. I thought he knew, you know, like he knows football because that's what he does every second of every day, right? So I become a player rep and I I want to say 2006. I wanted to know where my 10,000 was going every year, right? I'm not a union guy, but I'm going to find out where this money's going. So I get voted in. I go to Hawaii because that's where you have to have a meeting, right? Yeah. Jesus. Um, so way on that. Yeah. So, and I was the guy that got to switch back to the mainland and pissed off every Hawaiian. Uh, but anyway, so I go out there, I have to go, it's mandated. Right. And when I get home this 2007, right. We, we don't, we don't live like we do today. I didn't have, I wasn't checking my emails. I didn't even have the ability to do that. So when I get back, I go and look at my email and I just survived a flight from Hawaii to Boston. Right. Mm. And I get an email from Bill Belichick. Now, when I see it in my Microsoft Outlook, which I don't use anymore, but it's going back some days, I'm like immediately, oh, okay. Like before I've even read it, I'm like, 
my guys got me. Finally, somebody's going to bust my balls, right? Let's see what they wrote. And I read it and I'm like, this is ridiculous. What idiots. So I go in the next day and because it's talking about how I wasn't there for the first week of the offseason program, which obviously I wasn't there because I had to go to the freaking union meeting. So was a teammate of mine, right? So I, I, I spend all that night and I find a service where I can send an email and make it look like it came from whoever I wanted. It took me forever to find it. So I send one to Dan Cope in our center thinking that, you know, he's probably the smartest guy and he probably led the charge on this. So I'll, I'll throw it to him. And I write one kind of the way that he wrote it to me. And I walk in and the first person I see is Cope and sitting at the locker and he's getting ready for the workout. And he's like, hey, man, you sent me an email last night. And I was like, no, you sent me an email last night. And he's like, he's like, no, I didn't. But I know you had to send me an email. Right. And I'm like, no, Cope, what are you talking about? And he shows it to me. And I'm like, no, that's kind of crazy. I'm like, you know, because I, I, I deny it till you die. Right. No one's ever going to get me to admit that I pulled a joke or, or was trying to. Right. So he's kind of dumbfounded and he leaves it alone and we go do our workout. And nobody else comes up to me and says anything. And so now I know, because I do this for a living, busting balls, and I'm like, it definitely wasn't coping, and no one else is taking credit for it. I need to go ask Bears, because whoever did it, there's no way they were smart enough to figure out how to send an email and make it look like it came from Bill. So I go up to his assistant, and I'm like, hey, as I'm leaving, who came in here and got you to send an email to me? And he's like, what do you mean? I go, I got an email from Bill. And he's like, oh, no, Bill, Bill sent you that email. And I'm like, yeah, right. And he's like, come here. And Bill was in a staff meeting. He takes me into his, his office, opens up his Outlook, and in his sent box is the email to me. Oh, and I'm God. like, oh, snap. This is getting real. So now I have one of two different ways to go. I can either go address it with him and, you know, figure out why he was upset because it wasn't a very – it was a pointed email. Or I can just say that he's got to be kidding and sending my own response. So here we go. And uh, I, I take this everywhere with me, by the way, okay? So it says, it's from Belichick, Bill, which, I again, I thought it was fake. And it says, greetings from the NEP offseason program in the heading. Starts off in quotes. It's a chance for us all to bond and start putting the wheels in motion for the following season. Left tackle Matt Light said in a recent interview. The foundation is put in place at this time of year. What you do in March, April, May, and June, what you do in that mini camp and passing camp, it has a direct effect on the beginning of your season, and you had to come out of the gate swinging pretty hard. That's what we've been able to do around here. End of quote. Hey, Matt, just read this quote from you, dot, dot, dot. What the fuck? Question mark. We have over 50 guys here working out today, and the one who isn't here does all the talking about how important the offseason is. Figures. A lot of your teammates were concerned about you and asked why you weren't here. But don't worry. We've let them all know that you're in Hawaii for a week. If you want to get something productive done out there, why don't you have them move this meeting to the week before, all in caps, teams start their off-season programs? Question mark. <laughs> Very respectfully yours, Bill Belichick, head coach, New England Patriots. Now, you can see why I thought that was a joke, right? There's no way that can be real. Yeah. <laughs> that was 100% real. So. I responded, and this is another reason why my wife thought I was going to be fired every year. Coach B, first of all, allow me to apologize for not responding earlier to your prior email. It took me days to write this, by the way. It has been my experience, limited as it may be, that a reflexive response does not serve anyone well. 
Thus, I felt it necessary to permit time to militate a more measured philosophic response. As you are certainly better aware than anyone, we as human beings are not automatons. Rather, we stand as a compilation of free-willed rational beings. Given this, it becomes critical to impose a measure of collectivism for the benefit of the order. I realize that the concept of collectivism strikes a measure of aberrance in our rugged individualistic society, but it is such a collective good that allows us all to benefit. And it does not require a study of the incanabulum to realize that both coaches and players gain from a measured collective relationship with the financial bully pulpit held by the owners. Given this, and despite my commitment to the off-season programs, I felt compelled to move forward the collective good of the players through the attendance at the PA meetings. In the long run, it is generally for the benefit of all. My commitment to this end is in no way a negative reflection on my dedication and commitment to optimizing my personal performance to the greatest advantage of the team, your humble free will left tackle, Matt Light. Pretty basic. <laughs> that, that felt like, point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Felt like I, I, yeah, covered it all. Just wanted to let him know that I'm, I'm invested. I don't I'm here. feel that you drug it on in any capacity or anything. <laughs> yeah. Get to the point. Yeah, it was great. So, so this is, <laughs> this is what makes this my most prized possession. I did get a response, and before I read this, please know that I have never, now this was in 2007, April 11th, by the way, is when he responded, of 2007. We have never had a conversation about this, not ever, not since I retired, not when I was playing, and by the way, this goes for most things that I've done to him, having fun, never spoken about this, but this is what he sent. And the, and the important parts in the subject heading, it says, concluding remarks. Because we've never, ever emailed again, and I've never heard of him emailing anyone else either. So this will be the last time we do this, Matt. I just got to get this off my chest is basically what he says. Matt, I need some time to let this one settle, but I'll start with this. Why don't you consider dedicating yourself to having fewer mistakes and not leading the team in, once again, being the most penalized player on offense? Your numerous false start penalties in evidence again at the Pro Bowl and other transgressions like taunting continue to make me think that your distractions off the field affect your concentration on the field. My advice, if you have an interest in improving your performance, would be to minimize your distractions and focus on maximizing your physical development and technique in the off-season program. I continue to feel that you were totally out of line commenting on the importance of the program when you were not in attendance with the rest of the team. Finally, Matt, there is no need to use multi-syllable words in your email that neither you nor I know. I am unimpressed. <laughs> this will conclude my email exchange, and I will return to my efforts of trying to do a better job in coaching this football team. As for the PA meetings, don't worry about helping me. As I have said many times, and I remind myself, the best thing we can do for ourselves and our family is win, all in caps. Try to keep that in mind in your quest for world peace. Sincerely, respectfully yours, Bill Belichick, head coach, New England Patriots. So if you didn't think Bill was funny, um, <laughs> that should show you that he does have one hell of a sense of humor. But I love the fact that we've never spoken about it. That's so funny. <laughs> That's the good stuff. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, thank you so yeah, much. Bro. I don't, yeah, man. Thanks for coming on. And for our listeners, if you can go to his website, you want to say it one more time? Yep. MattLight72.com. Yeah. And help out the foundation. and. You have an Instagram too, don't you? I've never been on social media in my life and I never will be, but I know that we have a great team that work really hard on that. So I bet we do. Yeah, you do. It's under the Light Foundation. Yeah, Light Foundation. I follow it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yes. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. Have a good one.
Thank you guys for listening in to another episode of the Team Never Quit podcast. We appreciate each and every one of you. And uh, if you guys want to stay up to date with everything that we have going on, go check out our social medias at team underscore never quit. Thank you guys. We'll see you next week.